Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Uh, So it's Acts 20, verses 17 to 38. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying the good news of of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he, brought, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and, I will, and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work we must help the weak Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. I'm just going to pray for Matthew now before he comes to speak to us. Father God, we thank you um, for your holiness. Uh, We thank you that in that holiness you still know us intimately um, and you save us, rescue us and bring us together as your church. We thank you for the privilege of being your body on mission for you. Um, God, we thank you so much for um, for Mafi and the, the love that you've given him for you, the faith that you've gifted him with and the skills that he has to share your word and preach it to us. We pray that you would bless him this afternoon, bless each of us as we hear your word and fill us with Uh, joy and enthusiasm to uh, not only know you better but share that love and knowledge and relationship with others in Jesus name amen amen thank you Charlotte wonderful we have spent eight weeks in the book of Acts so this is week number nine and uh, this is the last in our series in Acts and so as I said said before after every Easter we jump into the the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit to see what it looks like for the gospel to, to travel throughout the city. So we've, we've saw in the last eight weeks how the gospel has spread through the Roman Empire. We've saw the tactics that Paul and the disciples have de- deployed. We've also saw the opposition that they have come up against, which has been fairly severe. 
And we've also saw the power of the Spirit that has caused their endeavors to bear so much fruit as the gospel clashed with Roman culture, and also as the gospel has clashed with, with the Dublin culture as well. So we're going to close our series today. And as we do so, we come to Acts chapter 20. And you know, this is the only speech in, in all of the book of Acts in which uh, it's addressed to an entirely Christian audience. So every other uh, speech or, or everything else is addressed uh, either in an evangelistic sermon, perhaps to the Jews or else to the, the, the Gentiles, or else it's a legal defense before the Jewish or the Roman authorities. And so this, this passage is a little bit unique in that it is to an entirely Christian audience. Now, it records Paul's final words as, as, as words of encouragement, but also as words of warning to the Ephesian elders. And it provides a, quite a, a dramatic description of who, who they were and then what they were called to do. So it's a passage that's specifically for Christians, but even more so for Christian leaders, but then also for anyone who is aspiring to, to leadership in the church. So what we're going to explore today is, is what other church leaders' lives look like. And with Paul, we're going to look back, and, and he's going to give a defense of his godly character, and we're going to look forward with Paul, and we're going to see that it's spirit-led sacrificial service that lies up in front. And as Paul looks around, we're going to see that uh, our church leaders' lives ought to um, be lived in such a way with a shepherd's heart. So look, looking back with godly character, verses 17 to 21, this is going to be Paul's final address to the Ephesian elders and before he makes his way to Jerusalem. So in one sense, he gets off his chest absolutely everything that he needs to. I, I don't know about you, if, if you've ever been maybe in a, in a long car journey and you know you're going to go and see somebody or else you, you know you have a conversation that's coming up that's going to be quite difficult or significant and you begin just to plan everything out. These are your five points. This is what you're going to say. You have so much to get off your chest. Maybe that's only me. But this is, this is Paul. This is Paul's last words to the Ephesian elders. And he's never going to see them again. And now, if we travel across 2,000 years, and ultimately now we've got WhatsApp, we've got video calls, we've got Facebook, we've got everything under the sun. So in terms of going away to, to another country or another city and never seeing these guys again, ultimately for us it's fairly easy. Communication barriers have been totally broke down. But it's interesting, it says about tears and weeping three times. So it's a significant moment uh, for Paul and for the Ephesian elders. He gets off his chest everything he wants and needs to say. These are his last words. And what does he do in his last words? He charges them to be people of godly character. And if you look at seven, verses 17 and, and 20, do you, do you see what he's saying? He exhorts him, to, he looks back in his ministry and exhorts him by saying, you know you know how I lived the whole time I was with you, verse 17 or 20. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you. And then again, in verse 34, it says, you yourselves know. What he's saying to the elders is, consider how I lived among you from beginning to end. And look at verse 19. Look at verse 19. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. He served humbly among them. He served as one of them. Sure, he was the Apostle Paul, and, and he, if he wanted, he could put himself on a pedestal, no doubt, but he didn't. He served as one of them on a level par with them. He served humbly. He was a man of tears. He was emotionally engaged. He wasn't distant. He loved them. He cared for them. He shared his life with them. 
He didn't go and record a sermon on a Friday evening and stick it up in a video and send it to the church for the church to watch on the screen. Not at all. He was in front of them, shared his life with them. He was with them. He was among them. He was emotionally engaged. He shared his life. And he was proven as well. Because whenever the heat of severe testing came his way, he didn't shrink back. He didn't bail. In tough seasons, he was found to be with them. You know, it's really easy to lead whenever everything is going well and going really wonderful, but, but the true test of the, the character of a leader really comes out whenever they're under pressure, whenever the, the, the heat is on them. That's when the character really comes out. And so Paul was proven he didn't bail, he didn't shrink back, and his godly character was matched by the, the vigor and the zeal that he had to see the gospel spread in the city, that both Jews and Greeks might turn to God in repentance and place their faith in the Lord Jesus. And this is, this is kind of my desire. I'm, I, I, I'm going to get to move, uh, move house currently. I'm living out, outside the M50, and I've been desperate to move inside the M50 for years now. And we're finally going to be moving, hopefully, this July or August. And I'm going to move to a new community. I'm going to move to a new place. I want to see the guys in my neighborhood, I want to see the guys on my road come to know Jesus. And so that's going to be, part of that's going to be on me. I get to move into their neighborhood. I want to get to know people, but I want the suburbs to come to know Jesus. I want the city center to come to know Jesus. And Paul was able to say to to the Ephesian elders from a place of humility, follow me as I follow Christ. And this is what our church leaders ought to be able to say. Follow me as I follow Christ. CCC's leaders are to be those who display a godly character. Certainly not just in, in public, but also in private. Robert Thune uh, has a great book on gospel eldership that Steve and I are actually journeying through together as part of preparations um, to be inducted as elders. And this is what he says in his book. A calling to eldership is not merely a subjective aspiration. Rather, it's an aspiration that's been tested and affirmed by other godly leaders within the context of a local church community. Do you see that? A godly character that's tested and discerned in community. It's not a godly character that's on paper or on an application form or even on a LinkedIn profile. Rather, character is is never revealed in in a a vacuum, but it's revealed in the nitty-gritty of everyday life. It's, It's tested and it's discerned in community. And so Paul continues by shifting his gaze from the past three years of Ephesus toward what was to come. So looking back, godly character, looking forward, spirit-led sacrificial service. And Paul opens this section a little bit differently to the last one, because in the last section he was saying, you know, you know how I lived, you know this, you know that. And this time he replaces it with, I know, verse 23, I know, verse 25, and then again in 29. And so Paul was turning from his past in which they, the Ephesian elders, knew about toward the future which only the Holy Spirit knew and the Holy Spirit was teaching and guiding him. And he says these words, and now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Paul is willing to face prison and hardship for the sake of the gospel. He doesn't know what's going to happen when he gets to Jerusalem, but he knows well enough that his ministry is not a cushy number. His ministry isn't a breeze. His ministry isn't a means to prop up his bank account. Following Jesus isn't the easier option for Paul. It's going to mean hardship. 
You know, Paul was a, was a tent maker. In one sense, he was a missionary full-time, but he, he was also a tent maker. He brought his leather and his tools with him wherever he went. He made a living on the side. And he can make tents and he can make leather belts and all the rest. The very best as a skilled craftsman. But Paul's overriding concern isn't that he may survive, but rather that he might finish the race, he might complete the race, complete the God-given task of bearing witness to the good news of God's grace. And you know, he can move on to Jerusalem with a really clear conscience because there's nothing that he hasn't shared. He's trained them, he's equipped them. And he said, I haven't, I haven't hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. And so those who lead the church are going to do so at great cost to themselves. They'll model sacrificial service that's motivated by a desire that everyone would come to know the good news of God's grace. That's extended freely to each and every one of us. Extended freely to your housemates. Extended freely to your work colleagues. Extended freely to the person that you do not like. It's extended to every single one of us. It's extended to your your sports buddies. So Paul looks back and he shows us the need for leaders to be those of a godly character. And he he looks forward towards a spirit-led sacrificial service. And now, in in perhaps the most thorough and concise teaching on what church leadership ought to look like, he begins to look around. And he shows that church leaders are those with with a shepherd's heart. So looking around with a shepherd's heart. And if you've got a Bible, I want you to be, to be looking at it or else looking on the screen. Are these, these two verses in verses 17 and 28. We've got these words that are used. Verse 17, uh, for the elders of the church. Verse 28, I keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God. We've got these three words. We've got elders, we've got overseers, and we've got shepherds. Now, I don't speak Greek. Here's three Greek words. I know probably four Greek words. These are three of them. The word elders in in Greek is this word presbyteros, which is where we get our word Presbyterian from, which really means it's governed by elders. It's led by a team or a plurality of elders. Okay, so 28 um, Overseers, this word episkopos, is where we get our, our English word episcopalian from, which is, a, is, a, is another form of church governance. But so we've got elders, we've got overseers, and it's then be, be shepherds. And this word poimen, uh, our, our English word for that is actually pastor. So pastors are, are actually shepherds. So keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church. So let me say a few things on these. Whenever elders are mentioned in the New Testament, every single time it's always in the plural. It's always in the plurality. It's never one. There's always multiple. And in many places in the New Testament, these these three words, elder, overseer, shepherd, are all used interchangeably. So if you want to look look into it, Acts 20 is the key one, as is 1 Peter 5. They're interchangeable to describe the same person or the same group of people. And so in in Ephesians 4.11, we see that Jesus himself gives gifts to the church. And and one of these gifts is the pastor teacher. And and the word that's used there is is, is the same as what's used here. It's a shepherd. And so the other times in scripture where, where the word shepherd or pastor is mentioned is more often in a descriptive form. So in other words, elders are to shepherd God's flock. Elders are pastors. Elders are to pastor. 
So elder, overseer, pastor, where you see any of these three words, they all refer to the very same office, the same person or group of people. So what we know from Acts 20 is that, is that a council of elders were responsible for the pastoral oversight of the church in Ephesus. And Paul's parting words is that he charges them to shepherd God's flock. So it's, a, it's an activity, it's a doing word. Shepherd God's flock in which the Holy Spirit has made them overseers. Do you see that? You notice that elders are selected and they are affirmed by the Holy Spirit. So how is the church then to be led by elders with a shepherd's heart? Elders lead God's flock, first of all, by, by example and with direction to, to new pastors. And so Paul instructs the elders to keep watch, first of all, over themselves in verse 28, and then secondly, over the church. Elders cannot care adequately for their church if they neglect the care and, and the nurture of their own souls. If you see an elder who is caring for the church but not looking after their own soul, not feeding themselves, then at some point they're either going to burn out or they're going to burn up. Alexander Strike, in, uh, in his book, Biblical Eldership, writes these great words. I think it describes a, a shepherd so well. The shepherd imagery blends the ideas of authority and leadership with self-sacrifice, with tenderness, with wisdom, hard work, loving care, and constant watchfulness. Shepherding requires long hours of work and complete attention. The shepherd must always be with the sheep. It demands knowledge of the sheep, good management skills, and courage in the face of danger. And more important, or most important, it demands love for the sheep. Thus, to shepherd means to govern the church of God, to provide leadership and guidance, to teach and correct from God's word, and to provide protection from all the dangers that threaten the life of the church. You know, in the, in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, Psalm 78 is a psalm of, uh, that's chatting about David. And David was described as a shepherd who had skillful hands and integrity of heart. And you know, elders in God's church are to have such character and competence. Integrity of heart and skillful hands. Elders should lead in such a way that it makes it easy for other people to follow. And lead in such a way that other people want to emulate. So elders lead God's flock. Elders also care for God's flock. Second half of verse 28 you want to look at it by valuing them as Christ does. It's easy to miss this, but look at the value that's placed upon God's people. You know, the price that one is willing to pay for an object will ultimately determine its value. If you want to know the depths and the value of your worth, you only need to look here. Look at verse 28. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Wow. You know, elders will lead well and care well for God's church whenever they remember that the flock under their leadership is firstly God's, it's not their own, and then secondly, it was purchased by his son's blood. Jesus paid the price on the cross that we may go free, but also that we may be a family together. And Jesus has given gifts, and one of them is the pastor teacher and has given the, the, the elders what a tragedy it would be for elders to neglect the very people that Christ gave his life for. What a tragedy it would be that if Matthew and Steve are elders at CCC and they neglect the very people that Jesus died on the cross to rescue and to redeem. 
But what an immense honor it is for elders to care for God's church. And you know, all too often we hear of, uh, of abusive leadership. And you know, it's not just far away, it's not just over in, in the States, it's also here in Ireland. It's also in the UK, it's in Africa, you, you name it, you, you'll find it in every continent. Whether it's spiritual abuse, it could be psychological, it could be sexual or otherwise. And often it's a sinister love of power and control, love of money, even a love of platform, among so many other things that capture the heart of such leaders rather than the inestimable value of the people of God. So elders lead God's flock, they care for God's flock, and they protect God's flock. Look at verses 29 to 31. Protect God's flock from false teachers and, and from spiritual apathy. And Paul is saying to the Ephesian elders, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock, even from your own number. And this is so harrowing. Even from within your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. See that? Maybe the love of control, the love of power, perhaps, the love of prestige. Verse 31, so be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning you night and day with tears. We see that again, tears once again. Paul knows really, really well that soon after his departure, there's going to be those who are going to come in and try to God's, draw, draw God's people away after them. And in many of the New Testament letters were written to warn against false teaching and to warn against those who would try to entice God's people away using words that their itching ears wanted to hear. And you know, it's no, no different for us. We will follow what we want to hear. That's the reality. If we, if, if we like it, we will often follow it. What our itching ears want to hear, we will be most naturally drawn to follow. They will soon distort the truth. And even worse, it's going to be from within. There are going to be some of your own. And you remember that for three years, Paul taught and he discipled the Ephesians, but yet now this is his time to go. And he's leaving the elders in charge to protect the church. And there's no question about it. Savage wolves are coming. But you know, Paul's most scathing words about false teaching comes to those who try to add to Christ. Paul's most scathing words were not to unbelievers. He talked so winsomely to unbelievers. His scathing words were toward believers those who would try to add something to Christ. So faith in Christ plus something else, that's how you know you've been rescued from sin. To the Galatians, it's faith in Christ and circumcision. I wonder maybe today here in Ireland, faith in Christ and good works. You do your good works, you, you balance it out, you're good to go for heaven maybe. Faith in Christ plus giving money to the church, that's you, you're good to go. Or faith in Christ and giving to charity, you're good to go. Not at all. You know, there's a cult operating here in Dublin. We know of a couple of people that used to go to CCC Central uh, in, the, in the past number of years who have actually left uh, us as a church and, and go to follow them. And, and to, to be fair to them, they told us they were leaving. We had our concerns. We spoke with them. But, but they went along, and, and they're in that now. Now, a couple of them have been quite hurt by it, and, and somebody else is still in it. But the reality is it starts out that seemingly innocent enough but at its root, it is demonic. And we've got to be careful. And this is why we don't rush people into eldership. This is why we don't rush people into leadership. There's a process of testing and discernment so that the right selections are made. So elders lead, elders care, elders protect God's flock. And finally, elders feed God's flock. 
So Paul has warned elders against wolves, false teachers, and the only way to counter uh, this is in verse 32. Do you see what's, what's given? Paul says, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Do you see that? Paul commits them to God and to his grace. These are the resources that are available to these elders. And I want to tell you this, these are the resources available to each and every one of us. You want to know what resources you have at your disposal as a follower of Jesus? You are committed to God and committed to God's grace. God is for you. His grace is for you. His grace is unmerited favor that has been lavished upon you. So these are the resources available to the Ephesian elders and available to each of us. You know, an elder whose heart has been so gripped by the gospel of grace will be one who recognizes how lost he is without it. Such an elder is going to pray the word. He's going to preach the word. He's going to sing the word. He's going to counsel people with the word. He's going to live the word. He's going to be so deeply dependent upon God and God's grace that even in the conversations with other people, that's what's going to come out. I want to tell you this, church, that God is willing and he is waiting to pour out his Holy Spirit on weak people who run to a strong Christ. I don't know about you, but I am a weak person that gets to run to a strong Christ. So it's only out of the overflow of the elders walk with God that can he minister to God's people. So elders are to be those of godly character. They're to be tried and tested. Uh, They're to be commended by others. They're to be spirit-led, sacrificial in service. They're to lead, they're to care, protect, and they're to feed God's church. And as we move towards appointing Steve and myself as elders this September at Christ City Church, you might be thinking, well, Matthew, how does this passage apply to, to me today? What am I meant to do with this? Much of what I've been saying can be applied to all believers, not just elders. And you know, God equips his church with many, many gifts through many, many people. So this isn't only for elders, but rather this is for each and every one of us. But elders are set aside by God to bear the specific responsibility. So this isn't just a mandate that's for elders, even though God has set aside elders for this. This is a mandate for each and every one of us. And it's an invitation to participate in the leading and the caring and the protecting and the feeding of God's church. We all have a part to play. This is why we say that city groups are the primary place of belonging at CCC. It's where you can feed and be fed. It's where you can care and be cared for. It's where you can lead and be led. It's where you can be protected. And it's also a place where you can protect others. We all have a part to play. You know, Paul says to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 4, live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Elders are to model this life that's lived worthy, a worthy life of the calling they have received. But this is not just a, a calling for elders. This is for each and every follower of Christ. In fact, the goal is maturity in Christ. So I just want to bring five short applications, five so what moments And I want to encourage you, as a church family, let's be faithful to Scripture. You know, according to each New Testament, or according to the New Testament, each church is to be overseen by the plurality of elders. So for each of us, it's good to understand church government according to the New Testament. And it's good to know that that your leaders seek to stand under the Word of God, not over it. So we want to be a church, we want to be people who are faithful to Scripture, We want scripture to read us. 
So be faithful to the scripture. Secondly, work together with your leaders. In Hebrews 13, verse 17, it says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. We want you to partner with us here at CCC to see God's kingdom come here in Dublin as it is in heaven. We're desperate to be a church that makes a positive difference for Jesus spiritually, culturally, and socially in the city of Dublin. That is our, that's our vision, that's our tag, that's our motto, that is our mandate. And I'm asking you, will you partner with us? Will you partner with us? Work together with your leaders. Pray for your leaders. Pray for us. Hebrews 13, 17 said that. Hebrews 13, 18 says this. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. But pray for us. It's crucial that your leaders are prayed for. Number four, keep us accountable. Are we doing our job? Are we living lives that are honorable? Are we feeding you with the word? Are we caring and and leading you well? Are we protecting you? Are we nurturing you in the faith? Are are, Are we nurturing you on towards maturity in Christ? Keep us accountable. Keep me accountable. The day that I can't be accountable to you is the day that I'm absolutely not qualified to be an elder in this church. Keep us accountable. Pray for us. Work together with your leaders. Be faithful to scripture. And then finally, Pray for what this symbolizes for CCC. So, you know, this is a key moment for us as a, as a, as a church that's now established. You know, in a church plant in context such as our own, uh, Steve and Leanne came over from England, and as I say, they started off in their living room. And Steve has served as, as a lone elder ever since the church has been planted until other qualified men are raised up. And this is the case with Paul's ministry as well. Whenever Paul and his missionary team planted a church in Crete, he and his team had to remain there to disciple and to raise up leaders. And then they went on to the next place, but they left behind Titus. And then whenever they came back around again, they came back to establish elders. And this is kind of the moment that we are at. The church has been established. There's been a lot of discipleship. There's leaders that are raised up. Now, this is a moment in which elders are being established. So establishing elders is a key foundation for CCC becoming a church planting church over the coming years. And I want you to pray that we would be that church planting church, that we would plant a new congregation on the north side of the city in the next maybe 18 months, two years perhaps, that we would plant another congregation perhaps somewhere else, maybe down in Wicklow, who knows? Maybe, maybe another church somewhere in Europe. Maybe you have a passion for something. Maybe there's an area that's on your heart, begin to pray uh, into that area. We want to see God's kingdom come here in Dublin as it is in heaven. And so let me say this as I close and as a band come back up. It's only as each of us follow the chief shepherd, Jesus, that we can be led well and as followers that we can serve well. You know, Jesus is the ultimate servant-hearted shepherd. He's the one in John 13 who stooped low to wash his disciples' feet. He's the one who embraced humility. He's the one who embraced rejection. He's the one who embraced the cross. He's the one who turned self-serving leadership on its head and served the church and gave his life for it. He is our model. But more than that, he's also our mediator to to flawed and fallen people like me and you. He came to redeem. He came to renew. He came to restore.
And he's our power. We are weak people who depend on a strong Christ. And you know, Christ is far more ready and willing to give me and you fresh grace than we are to ask for it. Do you know that? He is far more ready and willing to give you fresh grace than you are ready to ask for it. And the good news of the gospel for each and every one of us, whether we're a leader or whether we're not a leader, is that we need to take heart because we are far worse than we think we are. And you know, we are far worse than the person sitting beside you knows you to be. But the gospel is far greater than we can imagine. God loves to pour out his spirit on those of us who recognize our need for him. Father, I thank you for your church. I thank you that it is your church and it has been bought with your blood. And I pray that you would lead us as we come to participate in this meal around the table. In Jesus' name, amen. So verse 28, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which your Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. So let's remember this. The church is ours. It's not ours. It's God's. And may that inspire faithfulness within us. And it's also bought by the blood of Christ. And that is our value and that is our worth as we come to the table.